0: Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Summit Ridge Community Church. Welcome everybody that's here, everybody online. Um, As uh, Deborah said, we are going to have a non-standard service. So (laughs) it should be a lot of fun. We are, um, as you know, going through the book of Psalms. And uh, today I am going to go through Psalm 15. And I thought it was really interesting that I'm, I'm, because I'm going through, we're going through the book of Psalms, I'm doing a daily devotional that has uh, Spurgeon's commentary on the Psalms. And, of course, he goes from the beginning to the end. So, of course, it doesn't follow our pattern. But uh, today um, was the 15th. And so, uh, of course, it would have been nice if he had done it a few days ago while I was still writing this. But the, uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought it was really kind of interesting that uh, it came when it did. So I'm gonna read Psalm 15 here so we can put it in context and we're gonna talk through the pieces of it here. Uh, Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? One who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on a friend. A despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. He does not lend his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things will never be shaken. All right, so um, Psalm 15 is kind of an interesting Psalm. So of course it's early, it was written by David. So this is before the the temple existed, right? So this is, as, as you know, Solomon built the first temple. And so back in the day, Um, they had a tent, Um, so the original temple of God was the tabernacle, and it was a tent, Uh, a very fancy tent, um, but it was a tent nonetheless, and that kind of fit with it, because God's people were living in tents, Um, and so God came down from heaven and rested in the Holy of Holies that was inside the tabernacle, right, so it was a sort of merger, if you will, of heaven and earth together, with God in a tent, his people in a tent, and him living amongst them. Um, and so if you want to read all about the tent, it's a, it starts at Exodus 25, but it's quite the involved uh, process to, to uh, build this tent. Um, later on, of course, the, um, as the people started moving around, they would have to take this thing apart move it, and then put it back up again every time that they moved. So obviously, uh, when you read about the details of this tent, it was quite the effort every time that God wanted to move uh, because they had to take this thing apart and put it back together again. Of course, later on, Solomon built the temple, um, the first temple um, in um, Jerusalem on Mount Zion. The first time the tabernacle was built was on Mount Sinai. So if you remember, those two mounts are a very different perspective, right? Mount Sinai is really the judgment of God. We think of all the thou shalt nots, right? Came down, lightning bolts, smoke, all this kind of stuff. Mount Zion, on the other hand, later on comes back as the promise uh, of God. So the temple was a holy place, and one had to prepare themselves before they went into the temple. You didn't just get up on a Sunday and go, okay, it's time to go and hop into the temple. That wasn't how it worked. There was a lot of preparation that had to go. Um, and so they had to prepare themselves both physically and spiritually before they entered the temple. So the psalm we see starts with this question to God. Um, and it might seem unusual that this psalm would start with a question. Although we find that in the Bible, questioning God really is not that unusual an event, right? We think of Job certainly. Um, goes through the whole process of, of you know, trying to understand God's boundaries and whatnot um, and why God does what God does. Um, and I think as modern Christians, we have to question God in the sense to be able to understand how to take the things of today and understand it in light of Scripture, in light of how we live in the world today. And so it's not unusual for us to be asking questions. Um, certainly, uh, there's a lot of divisive issues today and understanding what god meant when he shared information in the scriptures and how that applies today uh, really is important Um, and not only with what's truth in the bible but how do you deal with that truth Um, we have people in our lives who are very much different um, than what god commands us to live like in the bible but we still have to love those people we have to interact with those people so a lot of times we go to god and try to get wisdom on how to, to to deal with those situations Um, And the other part that's really interesting that I find is that anyone who thinks the Bible is like a multiplication table, you know, where you can just read this and you're done. You have all the information you don't have. It doesn't work that way, right? There's a lot of the Bible that is, it's really the the total revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's not spelled out in some sort of numerical, systematic way. It tells you, you know, we think about, again, like the book of Job. More than likely, Job never really existed. The belief is that Job is a story to explain God. And in combined with everything else, it helps you understand who God is and what God demands and how God interacts with his people. The fact that Job is or isn't historically accurate isn't the point. The point is it helps you get to know more about God. And that's what the Bible is. So there are things in the Bible that are definitely truth. But as we've talked about before, for instance, the 10 commandments, are directed at us in how we live our lives and how we think about how we live our lives, right? So, again, the, the Bible has a lot of stuff that, that um, you may struggle with, um, and so that's fine, and you can go to God and say, hey, you know, I don't really understand this. Could you explain it to me? Um, and be honest with you, I think that if you, um, if you think you can—most of you know, I'm a, what I call a fundamentalist when it comes to the Bible. I pretty much believe what the Bible says as it says it. I'm not a literalist, though, in the sense that, for instance, I don't go to Revelation expect to see these very events occurring as that. You know, but it's, it's, a, it's a picture of, of understanding, right? So there's a difference there. So fundamentally, for instance, I believe what God says about covenant marriage. That's pretty straightforward. But there's other things that are, you know, we talk about end times. Those aren't necessarily so clear. Uh, and that's okay. Um, So we've been comfortable about it. So today, there's, again, like I said, there's a lot of issues that we have to deal with. Uh, Again, covenant marriage, where do we stand on abortion, the LGBT things that are going on, and a lot of other issues that we have to understand where God stands on those issues. And then how do we deal with the people around us um, so we can show truth in love, right? That's that tension. You can't just be throwing truth at people. I've met people like that. They don't win any hearts for God. Um, and we're not meant to be judgmental against people. We can judge sin, but we can't judge people, right? So again, this is a difficult thing. All right, so the, um, and again, like I said, I I think that if you think that you can just read through this and you have all the answers and you don't need any help, you probably need some big help. Um, You know, there is no one that I know of um, that has arrived that now knows everything that you need to know about God and therefore you don't need help. And, and that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, is to guide us into these things to help us find the answers. Um, and again, the, the, I, I remember I read a quote one time that said that there's enough in this, there's enough simplicity in the Bible that a child can understand it and enough complexity that a theologian can never work it all out. Um, so the Bible is a wide place for us to understand all right, so the um, so anyway, in order to have a robust faith, you really have to spend time with God. You have to spend time in his word, but you also have time in the spirit to help understand these things and to spend time in prayer. You know, one of the things that we talked about with um, uh, this service today was taking things to God in prayer because, again, we don't understand why stuff happens. Um, but it happens, right? We know that it happens. Um, so anyway, that said, now that I've explained all of that, the question in the, the first verse here is not that kind of a question, right? So it's not questioning God in the sense of how do I understand uh, some deep mystery of God? It's rather a rather straightforward question, and we think of it kind of as a um, catechismic question, i.e. a fundamental, something that, for instance, uh, uh, um, a rabbi might ask of his student, right? So the um, question, uh, it'd be sort of like if someone said, okay, who created the universe? Oh, God, it's easy, it's straightforward, right? So the, um, it's, it's a known answer, it's not a complicated question. So the first question that he asks is in verse one, it says, Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill, right? So it's a straightforward question because we know what the answer is pretty much, um, is that um, no one uh, is qualified. So to us today, uh, that may sound strange though, right? Because back then you had to properly prepare yourself to go into tabernacle, right? There was, there was ritual washings. If you'd had certain things happen in your life, you couldn't go to temple. There was all these sort of rules before you could go to temple. There was just, you had to do that. Uh, because again, it was the holy resting place of God and entering it um, should not be taken lightly, certainly not as lightly um, as many people treat coming to church today. Uh, the average churchgoer in the 21st century expects God just to be glad we showed up. You know, hey, no questions asked, no requirements, uh, just hey, thanks for being here. Uh, don't miss the alms box on the way out. The, uh, but the idea that God would expect something from us before we're allowed to enter Um, is just not something we think about in in this time, but they certainly did uh, 3,000 years ago. So the verse is not just asking who is qualified to approach God, uh, but who may dwell with him, who can live with God, right? So when we say who can live in his tent, again, remember God is in the tabernacle and people are going in the tabernacle, so you are having to live with God. That's kind of a scary thing when you think about it, you know. The... Um, the uh, <laughs> I remember a joke, but we don't have time. The... Uh, the <laughs> well, maybe we do. The, uh, <laughs> so, the, uh, so the... So this great... So these, these two kids are just nightmares. They're like 10 and 12, and they're m- single moms trying to take care of them, trying to raise them, and just, it's a nightmare. They're doing stuff in town, they're shoplifting, doing all this sort of stuff. And so the the mom says to this young new pastor that the church gets, can you put the fear of God in these kids? And the uh, pastor being a young pastor and not knowing any better says, absolutely, I sure can. So after church, he invites the two kids, tells the younger one to sit outside while he brings the older one in the office. And he looks at the older one, he says, where is God? The kid looks kind of startled at the question. The pastor looks at him and says, where is God? Now the kid's really getting nervous, and finally the pastor's getting irritated and said, Where is God? The kid jumps up out of his chair, races out the door, and his younger brother says, What's going on? God's missing, and they think we took him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, so my first point is: who is qualified to live in God's house? Right? So it's 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 The casual approach, of everybody can come to church, you know, no matter what, you can come, is really nice um, from a a casual approach as far as good evangelism. But that's not what's being asked in Psalm 15, right? Psalm 15 declares that there are some God-made requirements um, for those who are going to dwell or live with God. Um, And you may be, in other words, you may be able to come as you are, but you can't stay that way. You will have to change. You will have to be different than you were when you came to live with God, to dwell with him. Um, now, you may be willing to, if, if you think of that, when someone comes and visits you, you might be willing to put up with certain quirks because, you know, they're just visiting, right? So you could pull, uh, you know, put up with uh, you know, a little slack on their behavior, but if they were going to live with you, you're going to have a set of standards. You're going to have some rules as far as what can happen um, before um, they can stay with you. i was reminded of a commercial I saw on TV where this new couple had bought a house and they had a problem with ants. Um, not the crawling type, but the sisters of their parents. And, um, and so, you know, they have these, these ants show up and they're checking the expiration dates on stuff in the refrigerator and dust on the counters and all this sort of stuff, you know, and you could see this couple is putting up with them because they know they're leaving. In fact, in the last one, it's got this one and knocking on the door and they're like, not answering the door, you know, it's like, no, we're not letting another one in there. And so the, again, they're visiting, so you're gonna put up with this sort of annoyance, but if they move in, that's different. Um, You know, I think many of us have been faced when one of our boomerang kids shows back up um, and wants to move back into the house. And then you're like, okay, but here's the rules, right? There's quiet times, there's what your chores are going to be, there's, you know, there's all this stuff that you have to do. You can't just do nothing uh, and live in the house. Um, so we have requirements. Um, so we shouldn't expect anything different from God, right? It's not, we, it's not a surprise um, that God has expectations. And so while he invites us into his temple, um, is a simple process gets you in the door, But living with him, that is sanctification, expects more from you. Um, God calls us to be holy. Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, so you shall be holy, because I am holy. So we go back to the question, Who is qualified to live with God in his house? And the answer is, of course, that no one is qualified to live with God in his house in and of themselves, right? None of us are innately holy. We're all sinners. And through God's grace and the effectual work of Jesus Christ, on the other hand, we have imputed to us, nice fancy word, holiness. I.e., we have Jesus' holiness that gets us in the door and the right to dwell with Jesus and God and the process of becoming more holy. And we had this conversation um, last year uh, toward the end of the year. We talked about that idea that we are holy before God and we are working toward holiness. And that seems kind of a contradiction. But it's, we've been given a, uh, a status that we're working now to fulfill, right, is the best way to explain that. Um, So we have to be grateful that um, we have a God that loves us and that allows us to live with him. I ask that you join me in this responsive prayer. Holy God, we do not deserve to be in your tabernacle. We do not deserve to be in your dwelling place. We have not led a blameless life. Holy God, we have not walked in your ways. We have not done what is right in your sight or spoken the truth that you have sealed in our hearts. We have done evil both with love and to those who refuse to love as we should. Holy God, we have not appreciated that which you have given us. We have all faithful stewards of that which we have been blessed and have hoarded that which should be shared with the least of these. Holy God, we confess our fallen ways. Hear our cry, God of our hope, as we confess that which weighs us down. So we saw that we're not innately qualified to live with God, but through his gracious work of God the Father and through his Son, we have been qualified to live uh, with God. Um, And that, with a relationship rooted in Jesus Christ, we are, again, sinners saved by grace. We can dwell with the Father. And that's really an amazing thought when you think of that, that in the Old Testament, the old tabernacle, there was a big cloth that separated the Holy of Holies where God lived and the rest of the tabernacle. Um, And in fact, when the priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, they literally had a rope tied around his ankle because if he did something wrong, they could pull his body out uh, because no one else could go in. So the Holy of Holies was an amazing place, right? But when Jesus died, we're told that that curtain was torn in half. And we were no longer separated from God by this curtain. We, in fact, now had God in us. We have the dwelling of God in our lives. So in the second part of the Psalms, we see the qualities of those who are saved. Qualities that should be reflected in those who know Jesus Christ. Again, the psalmist talks about dwelling and living, not approaching. The assumption is you're now in here. And now you're living with God. And what does it mean to live with God? Um, so we have qualities that should be reflected in those who know Jesus Christ, right? So what does that mean? Well, the choice of verbs that are suggested, approaching God is, is simpler to approach him than it is to live with him day to day, right? I mean, again, we are holy and we're striving for holiness. So what do we all know? We know we don't inherently do everything right every day. In fact, I'm sure I sinned a couple of times on the way here. Um, yeah, I figured five overs, good enough. The, um, the <laughs> you know, and so there's, there, we, we have to understand that it's a striving um, to live with God in a day-to-day process. Um, and that shouldn't surprise us. Um, you know, when we get a job, you know, we go through the interview process. They tell us about the job. You do some research online to find that out the thing. But when you actually get the job, you find out what the real requirements are, right? They, now you sit down your first day, and they're like, okay, you're going to do X," And you're like, oh, that's not what it said. Um, so same thing here is that now um, we have a requirement of things we need to do. If we're going to have a relationship with God. If we're going to live in his house. Um, we have to count the cost. Um, We have to look at what's required of us versus what we've gained from the expenditure. Luke 14.28 says, For which one of you who wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see he has has enough to complete it? Um, And it's really interesting, especially in our denomination, we put a lot of emphasis on the cost. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What is the requirements that are on us in how we live our lives, right? It's not just something you do once, so you've got the stamp that says, you know, if I die, I've got, I've got my passport shows, I've been to church once, I'm good. That's not what it is. It's, it's this continuous process of, of growing. Um, now, there's no behavioral requirements for getting saved, but there are things that we must do to stay united to God. Um, we're justified by faith alone, but sanctification is a combination of faith and obedience. Um, so what qualities, um, what are the qualities of those who walk with God? So any sinner can come to God crying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But for sinners to live with Christ, we have to develop the character traits listed in Psalm 15. Um, Those who truly know the Lord have behaviors that make them distinct from those who do not. Um, It's interesting in the old brethren history, um, in the Anabaptist movement, Anabaptists behave differently than other religious groups. And so if you are a well-behaved Presbyterian, you have to be careful because you could be accused of being brethren. Um, Because you are living a proper and upright life. and so the, and, and it's important here that we're not talking about a pharisaical approach. In other words, we're not sitting here about saying, look at me, I'm following all these rules. That's not what this is about at all. It's about an inward reflection. Am I living the way God wants me to live? And that's why you have to be able to go to God with it. You know, you're going to say, God, I, I want to do this. Is this okay? Now, obviously, we get a lot of guidance from here. But there's a lot of things in here that don't necessarily map to everything you're going to do in your life. And so you need to take what you know about in here and take it to God and say, God, how do I do this? What am I supposed to do in this situation? Right? So anyway, what God is looking for here is moral righteousness. Um, God wants us to be holy and blameless. And that doesn't mean perfectly sinless. We know that's not going to happen. Right, Um, but it's having a complete devotion to God's will, which means that you have to seek His will to know what it is. Um, The um, you know I used to joke about the people that do whatever they want to, and then when they're in trouble, ask God how to get out of it. Um, You know, the uh, or my dad used to say, you know, you sow your wild oats all week long and pray for crop failure on Sunday. Um, That's not what that's. You know, not the way we're supposed to be living our life, right? Um, So we must be righteous, which means we do what's right as a matter of habit and principle. In other words, when you come upon a decision you have to make, the decision is easy because you have already made that decision before you're there. Um, A lot of the mistakes that we make in our lives is because we haven't thought about the question until it shows up. Um, And therefore, we make the wrong decision. Um, So we see in this that there's three principles. We must be righteous, we must speak the truth in our hearts, and our words must be governed by a heart that is devoted to God. Um, So notice the significance of the heart. Uh, Our hearts must be devoted to God, and then we can speak the truth from our hearts. Um, If our hearts are darkened by evils of the world, then we cannot speak the truth of God because our hearts won't contain the truths. Um, And so David applies these moral qualities to three concentric circles. Those we live near, um, those we go to church with, and then those that are in our larger circle. So this is the way that the message paraphrase says it. Walk straight, act right, tell the truth, don't hurt your friends, don't blame your neighbor, despise the despicable, keep your word even when it costs you, make an honest living Never take a bribe. Pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward sets of rules. Um, so we're to practice righteousness, devote ourselves to God, speak the truth. Um, and it's not surprising that um, this is to apply in these layers of our life, right? Because we have that, right? We have close family, we have those we associate with, and of course, we have the stranger that we meet on the road so to speak. Um, we do not do evil or bring shame on a friend. We despise those who do extremely nasty, cruel, or evil things in the world. Um, and we do the right things even when it's to our detriment. Um, there's times that doing the right thing is going to cost you, uh, and that's okay. Um, and it's not surprising this is very similar to what we read in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 11, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So it's interesting because we see in the Sermon on the Mount how we are to behave and what our ultimate um, receipt is, right? We certainly know that we can behave this way today. We're not going to receive that feedback back at the same time, right? You know, we talk about, for instance, being poor in spirit, and that doesn't mean poor like monetarily, um, it just means that the, the, that your, your, your spirit is welcoming, um, that you're welcoming to people. And we know that that's not always going to go well, right? So we have to understand that this is, um, you know, blessed are the gentle for they will inherit the earth. Well, clearly not today. Gentleness doesn't get you a lot uh, today, but it will because you'll inherit the earth at the end. Right. So this is that behaviors, but they're not linked together in time. Right. Now, I want to go on one tangent. Um, I tend to do that. But anyway, uh, we live in a world today that's struggling with integrity. Uh, and when I was growing up, my father made a real big deal about integrity. Um, and, um, you know, he's always important that what you say is the truth um, and we need to be able to rely on you telling the truth. And I found it growing up that it was easier to tell the truth. One, you can remember it. Um, And two, it's better to take your, you know, take your bumps now than it is later on when they find out about it and you get two, you know. But uh, I remember my advice my father gave me when I was just a little kid. Um, He said, you can lose money and that is not good, but you can always get more money. He says, you can do what's right and lose friends. And that is not good, but you can always get more friends. He says, but you lose your integrity, you have lost it all. Um, And I think of that, that it's so hard to get trust and integrity back. Um, And I know all of you can probably remember things that have happened in your life where something happened, someone did something, and it was gonna be a while before that you ever believed them again, or that you trusted them again. Uh, So it's really important that we live this in our day-to-day life. we live in a world that likes to color outside the lines. Uh, world that likes to say, oh, I can get away with a little stuff. You know, this is income tax season, right? So I can make a couple of changes, they won't mind. I don't like how they spend my money anyway, right? And uh, you know, uh, my significant other is not gonna know anyway, so it's okay. And yeah, I exaggerate a little bit on my resume, but they expect that, right? And and yeah, the TV show kind of goes a little far, but. That's okay, they all do that today, you know. You get the picture, right? So I want to emphasize that, that righteous living is, or unrighteous living is like rust. Um, if, if you don't take care of rust, what does it do? It just goes deeper into the metal. Before it's all done, something just completely falls apart, right? Rust is something that has to be dealt with immediately, or it just gets worse. Um, and that's the way it is when it comes to issues of Righteousness. If you start letting yourself slide down the hill, you start making excuses why it's okay to do a little wrong, pretty soon you're doing a lot of wrong. Um, it's a hill. Um, and so I really want to encourage everybody to, 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 to take things to God. You know, If you're not sure about something, is this okay for me to be doing? Ask Him. Um, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Word. Uh, and, and don't think that I've arrived. Please don't. I struggle the same sort of stuff. I'm all the time thinking, well, that's what I want to do, should I do it, you know. Um, and so uh, we have to live in integrity, we have to devote our lives to God first, and we must let our hearts speak the truth God has placed there. So please join me in this responsive reading. O God of the highest heaven, you are worthy to be praised with every breath. Love with every faculty of soul, serve with every act of life. We were all once dead in our sin, having no eyes to see you, no ears to hear you, no taste to relish your joys, no intelligence to know you. O oh God, you have opened our senses to you, and we are now aware of where we fall short. Show us, O oh God, how we are to walk in your ways. We wish to live in your ways. O oh God, your spirit has made us alive. You have brought us into a new world as new creatures. You have loved us, adopted us, and called us your own. Let us lay aside every sin of this world. Help us to walk with you that we may be the salt of the earth and a blessing to all. Amen. Amen. So we've seen that none of us are innately qualified to walk with God and that we have to live with integrity, devote our lives to God first. Must let our hearts speak the truth that God has placed there. So that brings us to our final question. What are the benefits of walking with God? So verse five ends with a statement that seems a little surprising at first, right? One who does these things will never be shaken, really. Being a good person guarantees that nothing bad's going to happen to you? <laughs> and we all say, no, <laughs> of course it doesn't. That's certainly not the case. We know David, right? What's, the Psalms are full of times that he is like, oh, my gosh, you know. He's, he's literally um, running away from folks that are trying to kill him for like half his life, right? So what does it mean? What does it mean we're not going to be shaken? Um, I mean, we know that bad things happen to good people. Um, So what does that mean? And so we saw in the middle of verses of of Psalm 15 that David expresses the requirements that are very similar to what Jesus expressed on the Sermon on the Mount. So it shouldn't surprise us um, that there's a similarity as well with the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if we go to Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed to get that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. When the storms come to life and beat upon our house, we can stand firm if we're anchored to the rock. Uh, now, that doesn't mean we're not going to go through great struggles. Um, I can tell you in my life, there are days I've been, I can't say that word, uh, I was angry at god uh i remember one time i was in i was in emergency room i went through a procedure that was supposed to be non-event um and they gave me a medicine to reverse the medicine they gave me that was was supposed to be an artificial like exercise to make my heart work really hard so they could see what it was doing and then they gave me this medicine to reverse it unfortunately reversed it to the point that my blood pressure almost fell off the chart and so i get sent to the hospital and it's it annoyed me because i i I drove the truck thinking I would just drive home, and now I have to arrange to get the truck picked up. And I'm sitting in a room, and the TV doesn't work, and my cell phone's dead, and I'm ticked. Um, I mean, it's bad enough to be in a hospital room, but if you don't have a cell phone and a TV, what are you going to do? So I spent several hours yelling with God. And uh, and it was really good. Um, And it was okay. God was okay with that. Um, And so we are not talking about that your life is going to be... without its issues. All we know is that God will be there with you through all of those struggles. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether it's health issues, problems at work, um, struggles in a marriage, struggles with sins in our lives. We know that God is there and we are anchored to him. He will help us through it. You know, I think one of the biggest struggles we have with sins that we tend to repeat in our lives that we're just, you know, we're, at the end of it, we go, oh, I can't believe I did that again. You know, and God, you gotta help me with that. And you know, he will. Um, and that's really the amazing part about it. You know, God will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, we can't trust him to be there for us. Scripture is full of verses um, that talk about how God is our rock and our anchor. Um, I'm just going to give two because we're going to run out of time. Um, 1 Samuel 2.2 2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Uh, Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2 says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I mean, that is, you know, and I encourage you that when you're going through these difficult times, save these verses that tell you God is with you. I have these little flashcards. Uh, how I learned to memorize stuff, and those are the ones I started with, Were all the things where God promises he's going to be with me when stuff goes bad, because stuff goes bad, Uh, and I wanted to be prepared, right? You got that picture? Oh, is it up? Okay. All right, so it didn't show up back there, so that's what I was waiting to see. So this is a a bristlecone pine tree, and it's one of my favorite pictures, Um, and I believe that it illustrates what David means. Now, if you know anything about bristlecone pine trees, say that a hundred times fast, uh, they're some of the oldest trees in existence. Um, And they live in very inhospitable places with high winds and very little moisture. Um, But look at the tree. It's growing because it's anchored to the rock. It's not going anywhere. No matter what else goes on with it, it's there. And some of these trees are thousands of years old. and that's what I get when I see this picture of, of being anchored to the rock. You know that that we've got those roots that are anchored in God, and so no matter what else comes our way, we know God, you got this. Um, so the um, now we're not promised a trouble free life, but we know that we have security in God's presence now and forever. Um, and the gospel declares that God, who demands these things, is a God who forgives us when we fail. Um, and enables us to grow in holiness. And I think it's really important that we take guilt and shame out of the picture, right? Because that's Satan's best weapon. When you stumble again, there's that weight that sits on you and says, oh, I can't believe I did that again. Well, that's not God. You just bring it to God. I, I stumbled again. Lord, how do I avoid that? And I don't have time to get into it, but there's things I know I don't do. You know, there's a reason Food Eaters Anonymous doesn't meet at Golden Corral. Uh, <laughs> you know? I mean, the bottom line is, is there's just things in your life that you have to change so you don't make those, those you don't follow those struggles. There are struggles we have that the only way to avoid them is to avoid them, not to put yourself in a situation where you have to decide whether or not you're going to fall. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, all right. So again, when God brought the temple to us in the form of Jesus Christ and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, think of it that we are literally tabernacling in the flesh of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is living with us as if we're living in that very same tent. Right? That He is in our life that much. You know, it's interesting when people tell me, "Well, I don't know if Je- you know, I don't want to tell God that." God already knows, right? God knows everything you've done. It's important that you tell yourself that you've done it. Confession is about acknowledging what you've done. You're not surprising God, right? We read in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, so that's a great difference between us and David. Uh, we meet God not in a building, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean we have to live some sort of special life before Jesus comes to know us. No. God can take us from whatever position we're in. I've shared before, I was 33 when I came to know the Lord, and I wasn't a very nice guy. Um, he can take us from anywhere we are. Um, But it doesn't mean that we're going to dwell with him, live in him, united with him, enjoy his presence, and we have to strive to be Christ-like. And if we live by the Spirit, develop the fruit of the Spirit, we have some resemblance of the character, qualities, and behaviors of Psalm 15. We read in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Against such things there is no law. So we're qualified to live with God because of the sacrifices of Jesus Christ and an imputed righteousness um, that comes from salvation, but it's not a stagnant process. It's a continuous process of living with the Spirit and listening to the Spirit. And as we grow in the Spirit, our anger gets stronger. Faith is a muscle. It gets exercised. Once you've been around the block a few times, that root grows deep. You know God is there. You know he will be there for you. I've got, as you know, I've gone through umpteen surgeries. I've got three scheduled this year. And I'm not worried about it because God's got it. If I'm supposed to go, <laughs> I know where I'm going. And if I'm not supposed to go, well, I guess I'll do this some more. Um, but I'm not worried about it. God's got this. Um, so again, just encourage you all to grow in the spirit, strengthen that anchor that holds you in place. We'll finish up with this responsive reading so if you could join me thank you lord for the fruit of love for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life thank you lord for the fruit of joy And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been one born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of peace. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ thank you lord for the fruit of patience now may the god of patience and comfort grant you grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to christ jesus thank you lord for the fruit of kindness so as those who have been chosen by god holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so, you, so must you do also. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of goodness. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap. If we do not become weary, so then while you have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of the faith. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of faithfulness. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of gentleness. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of self-control. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Against such things, there is no law. Father, we're just so grateful that you are with us, that we are able to live with you, that we can spend our lives with you, that we can hear your voice. We give all to you, Lord, all that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.